You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week six of the study In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled God Most Gracious. Good evening, ladies. It's great to be here with you um, this week. I've missed you the last couple weeks as I've been traveling and out of town, but I'm happy to be able to join with you again this evening. Um, This week we studied a topic that we all appreciate, grace, receiving what we do not deserve. We are so thankful for God's free gift of grace, but do we fully grasp it? Or do we at times struggle with needing to earn it or at least thinking that it's grace plus my obedience, my giving, my acts of service. Many years ago, my husband and I bought a Christmas CD by Ray Charles, and when I was looking at the titles of the song, one of them really caught me off guard because it was, the title was, Christmas is All About Receiving. And I was like, no, wait a minute, I taught my kids that it's more blessed to give than receive. But then when I listened to the song, the words were spot on, because it talked about that if we don't first receive the gift of Jesus, that we can never truly give to others. Or have any of you ever experienced this awkward moment when a friend gives you a Christmas gift and it never even occurred to you to buy one for her? How many of us have quickly been tempted to fumble over words like, oh, I have yours for you at home, I just haven't wrapped it yet, which really means I need to go home and find something to quickly wrap. Um, Sometimes we don't quite know how to simply receive when we haven't earned it or it can't be reciprocated in a similar manner. But before we jump into grace, let me pray. Gracious Father God, We are so grateful beyond what our words can express that you have poured your grace out upon us. Forgive us for the times that we don't know how to receive it or that we feel that we have to earn it or that we have to give something back to you in order for you to pour your grace on us. You have given it in abundance and you have given it freely. And now, Lord God, I pray for your grace upon each of us that our hearts would be open to you. I pray for your grace that I would speak your words and not mine, that you would hide me and reveal yourself. We love you, gracious Father. Thank you for loving us first. In your name we pray, amen. When I looked up the definition for the word gracious, I found courteous, kind, and pleasant. The Bible Project explains that in addition to those synonyms, gracious also means forgiving, merciful, and compassionate. It concludes that when God calls himself gracious, what he means is that he sees you as a treasure. He delights in you regardless of your status or behavior. Some definitions for grace are courteous goodwill, God's unmerited favor and goodness, kindness from God we don't deserve. A.W. Tozer defined it as that in God which brings into favor one justly in disfavor, his goodness directed toward human debt and demerit. Arthur Pink wrote that divine grace is the sovereign and saving favor of God exercised in the bestowment of blessings upon those who have no merit in them and for which no compensation is demanded from them. 
Pink goes on to explain that God's grace is eternal, it is free, and it is sovereign. And yes, grace is free, but that does not mean it is cheap. It is free to us, but it cost God greatly as he sent his only son on our behalf. And it cost Christ greatly as he suffered an agonizing death. Let us never equate free with cheap. The Hebrew word typically used is ken, often translated as favor. And the Greek word used in the New Testament most often is charis, kindness, blessing, favor. It is the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. Did that last part resonate with you? Yes, we are saved by grace, but we are also kept by grace, strengthened by grace, sanctified by grace, live in grace. Somehow we've adopted the idea fully that we receive salvation by grace, but then we think the rest is partly up to us, that it's grace plus. Dear friends, praise God that it is all by grace, only grace, salvation, and sanctification. God is grace, and there has always been grace in the heart of God. His grace was every bit who he was in the Old Testament as in the New. No one has ever been saved but by grace. Genesis 6-8 reads, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And in Exodus 33:13, Moses says to the Lord, If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. And in both of those verses, the Hebrew word for favor is ken, the same word for grace. Let's consider other scriptures revealing the way God is gracious to us. Exodus 33:17 God informs Moses that he has indeed found favor in his sight and he knows him by name. The Lord assures him that his presence will go with him and he is even willing to reveal his glory to Moses. Because God is gracious to us, he knows each of us by name. Is there anything more personal than our name? Would you rather someone call out your name when they want your attention? Or simply say, hey, you. And doesn't it make us feel special when someone that we met a long time ago remembers our name when we run into them again? It is so significant that God knows our name. He knows us intimately. And because God is gracious to us, we can know him. He is not a distant, impersonal God. Moses says, if I have found favor, grace, then show me your ways that I may know you. And the Lord replies that his presence will go with him. He is not only willing, but he desires to be known by us. I'm not sure we truly comprehend what a blessing it is to be able to know the sovereign creator of the universe, to be able to have an intimate relationship, to be able to approach his holy throne at any time, even after messing up when we need his grace and mercy the most.
We could never approach an earthly ruler without an appointment made well in advance and background checks and security guards surrounding us, not to mention needing a very legitimate reason. God's grace is what enables each of us to enter at all times into the presence of the ruler of all rulers, the king of all kings. In his first letter, Peter writes in 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Note it says all grace. He is generous with his grace. It is not a partial gift. It is given in abundance to each of us. We will never need more grace. And this all-sufficient grace is what restores us when we are broken or have gone astray. And it strengthens us when we are weak. In Timothy's second letter, he instructs his readers in chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God's divine grace poured out on us was his perfect plan and intended purpose from all of eternity. Paul in Romans 3.24, after explaining that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, writes that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. God, in his graciousness, makes his grace for us completely free, a gift. We don't have to earn it, pay for it, hope we're good enough for it. Indeed, we can't be. We know that, and yet how we try. Pink understood that about human nature. He added in his book to his definition of grace that it is completely unmerited and unsought. Grace can neither be bought, earned, nor one by the creature. My brother-in-law, Don, was a youth pastor many years ago, and on a hot August afternoon, he took some of the teens and they set up outside of a Walmart, handing out cold water bottles for free. And he said it was amazing and also so distressing how many people just would not, could not accept the water bottle for free. Insist, insisting that they give a donation, if not just outright pay for it. Don had to work extra hard to explain it was a free gift, no strings, given out of the kindness of himself and the teens. They bought the water, they paid the price, so that the hot, tired shop, shoppers could freely receive a cold drink. And yet so many were suspicious. Too good to be true, or they just felt guilty over not paying for it. And we see that in the story of the prodigal son. When the wayward son finally reaches the point of desperation, he decides to return home, confess his sin to his father, and therefore is not worthy to be called his son, and then he plans to ask him to hire him so that he can earn his keep. Instead, what does the father do? He runs to him 
embraces him, puts on his robe and ring and celebrates his return. The son does nothing to deserve that treatment. The father graciously pours it out on him. The Bible tells us that from God's fullness we receive grace upon grace. And the parable that I just mentioned exemplifies that. The father didn't give a lukewarm welcome, allowing him to move back in. No way. The robe, the ring, the feast, the rejoicing, grace upon grace. And yet at times, we miss or we fail to see his graciousness. I actually taught this same um, book in his image last year at WBF in the morning class. And the week that I was going to be teaching on God's graciousness, we had been gone for four days camping, got home Sunday night, exhausted, tired, mountains of laundry to do. Um, Monday, I had to work on preparing my lesson. Tuesday, I was going to be taking the refugee family that I was helping to the clothing bank. And then I had out-of-town guests, my college roommate and her husband, coming from Michigan for a couple days. And Tuesday morning at 4 a.m., our hot water tank burst. Um, And I got to tell you, I was not feeling that God was being gracious to me. I was like, really, Lord? I've been gone for four days. I've got to work on my lesson, which, by the way, is for you. I've got to take the refugee family to the clothing bank, which, by the way, is for you, Lord. And this is what you're allowing to happen. And then gracious God in his gentle and convicting way reminded me that the hot water tank could have burst on Friday, Saturday, Sunday when we were out in western Pennsylvania. My husband, and I got his permission to share this, he snores, and so the three nights that we were out in the cabin, I really did not sleep at all. And I was like, I have such a busy week. And he was like, yeah, yeah, you stay in bed alone. And typically, he would go upstairs and sleep in a guest room. But I was like, no, no, it's all perfect up there for the company. You can't mess it up. So he slept down in the basement on the futon, which means that when the hot water tank burst at 4 a.m., he heard it immediately and could address it. And then at 7 a.m., when we called the plumber, he was willing to work around my schedule going to the clothing bank. He met me at our house when I returned. He was like, yep, your hot water heater is shot, but no worries. We have everything in stock. You'll have hot water by this afternoon. So many ways God was gracious to me, and yet it was my perspective that refused to see it. It was a question of my attitude. It was not a question of whether God was gracious. Psalm 111.4 tells us that the Lord is gracious. And then the verses following that list the various ways. He provides for their need with food. He remembers his covenant forever. He reveals his power and gives his people an inheritance. He is faithful and trustworthy in all his ways. He sent redemption to his people. And the psalmist in 119.29 appeals to the Lord to put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. God is gracious to us by giving us his law and then giving us his spirit to help us understand it. Do we see it that way? That his law is graciously for our benefit and his law also points us to our desperate need for grace since we can never perfectly keep it. 
Paul in Galatians 1.15 expresses something he's grateful for. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, God's grace is sovereign. He chose us. Nothing we did to earn it. Grace has always been in the heart of God, as I mentioned earlier. Always who he is, but it was manifested at the cross. Grace was fully revealed and perfectly exemplified when the Redeemer died for his people at Calvary. Salvation has always been by grace through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, looking forward to the cross. Since the cross, looking back at it. Pink explains the relationship that the Trinity has to grace. God the Father is the fountain of all grace. God the Son is the channel of all grace. And God the Spirit is the communicator and bestower of all grace. In Romans 5, Paul says in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And then in verse 21, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's grace abounded. I love Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 which describes the riches of grace that he lavished on us. Riches lavished, abounded, grace upon grace. And yet, so often in our day-to-day, do we fall into a pattern of living like we barely have enough grace to face our trials, to walk in joy, to pursue obedience. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection, grace can reign in our lives through righteousness. I quoted D.A. Carson when we looked at holiness, that sanctification is grace-driven effort. And Jen referred to that same quote. Let's look further at what God's word says about how we are to receive and live out grace. I believe we live it out best by receiving it in truth and abundance. Accepting it fully while knowing that it is a gift that can never be earned because of our sinful human condition. If we are not appalled by the truth of our sin, we will never be amazed by his grace. The hymn writer described grace as amazing because he first saw himself as wretched. And we need to acknowledge that his grace is sufficient. It is not grace plus what I can bring to the table. There is a strong work ethic here in Lancaster County, and that's a good thing. But we can carry that same mindset into our striving to earn God's favor. But we don't need to. He has dispensed his grace freely, and it is sufficient. Scripture talks about the grace of God being a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Greek. And I think that's partly because it completely dismantles our prideful concept that we can and even should work hard and therefore earn God's favor and blessings. My husband taught at a small Christian college, Nyack, outside of New York City for many years. And he used to give every few years a quiz that he secretly knew was his grace quiz. It was absolutely impossible to pass. It was pretty much impossible to even get one question correct. 
And the students would be grumbling and complaining while they took it, how ridiculous these questions were. And then when they were all done, he would tell them to mark on the top of their paper 100%. Most of the students, as you can imagine, were greatly relieved. But one year, he had a guy who had been the most vocal with his anger during the quiz, and he refused to take the perfect grade. I didn't earn it. I won't take it. I don't deserve it. He would not allow himself to accept the free A+. So maybe we aren't that extreme in rejecting the free gift of grace, but do we secretly credit our good works as earning us extra favor with God, increasing our worth to him, dare I say even ensuring that surely now God owes me extra blessings. Paul warns against that mindset in Ephesians chapter 2. The verse is on the PowerPoint slide, but I'm going to very loosely paraphrase it. It is a total gift, folks. You did nothing, so don't be bragging. He expresses that same idea in Romans 11:6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So we must receive it fully and humbly. James tells us in 4:6 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We are to be humble yet confident not in ourselves, but in God's grace. Romans 6.14 assures us that sin will have no dominion over you, and the New American Standard states that it shall not be master over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Since it is by God and God alone, and not based on our own efforts, we can proceed confidently on this Christian journey, not burdened by the weight of having to perform or earn or deserve his love. Timothy informs us in his second letter that we are to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His grace saves, but it also sustains and carries and strengthens. Romans 5.2 states, through him, meaning Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Are we standing in his grace or are we trying to stand on our own works? One of the meanings there for stand is abide. Are we ever aware that we need to live in his grace? Our only hope for giving grace to others is if we are dwelling in his grace. And how do we live graciously? Well, let's substitute some of the definitions I gave earlier. We are kind, courteous, pleasant. Paul in Ephesians 4.29 gives us very practical advice for how we can extend grace to others by speaking words that build up or edify. We all need to do self-reflecting and ask ourselves, do my words build others up or tear them down? And if you really want to be convicted, then add within the walls of my own home, do my words build up or tear down? And we remember that his grace is sufficient. We like the first part of that verse. Oh good, his grace will be enough. 
But the second part of Jesus' words to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 are, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. If we had to rely on our own effort and our own good works and our own righteousness, then weakness would be a real problem. Struggles would set us back and could jeopardize our standing in heaven. But praise be to God, his grace is sufficient even in our weakness. Are we receiving it? Are we abiding in it? Are we standing upon it? Or like Ron's student, are we just not able to fully embrace the idea that it is free and undeserved and unearned and yet a beautiful, amazing gift for each of us? Are we stuck in the mindset of grace plus? Arthur Pink wrote the following. Grace is a provision for men who, for women who are so fallen that they cannot lift the acts of justice, so corrupt that they cannot change their own natures, so averse to God that they cannot turn to him, so blind that they cannot see him, so deaf that they cannot hear him, and so dead that he himself must open their graves and lift them into resurrection. And that is exactly what he does for us. Truly, we can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's us, ladies, what was described in that quote. But rejoice and celebrate. We have received and continue to receive grace upon grace. Our Heavenly Father has placed his family ring and the righteous robe of his Son on us. And one day we will celebrate for all of eternity his presence, feasting on his glory. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. For my closing prayer, I'm going to read this blessing over you from 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Have a great week, ladies. Live in his grace. Rest in his grace.